0: Hey, Trailblazers. Welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast. It has been a hot minute since I said that, but thank you so much for pressing play on today's episode. It feels so nice to be back. And I know I said that in the last episode, this summer was extremely hectic and I recently just started a full-time job. So we've just been in my post-grad era trying to figure out what the heck my schedule is, trying to organize my life. And I'm happy to report we're back on schedule. We are back to regular scheduled programming. And this time, I mean it, we have episodes lined up and we're so excited to be back. So thank you so much for your patience. And if this is your first episode, thank you so much for tuning in and pressing play on today's episode. And if you're a returning listener, we appreciate you so much. Be sure to follow the Business Casual on anywhere you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at business.casual.podcast. And last but not least, if you're enjoying the show, feel free to give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help the show out, and it helps us to continue bringing great content to you. Without further ado, I want to introduce this week's guest because Tiffany was such a ray of sunshine and Just so excited to have her on the show. She is currently the CEO of the Federation of African Canadian Economics, also known as FACE, a Black-led organization dedicated to the creation of generational wealth for the Black Canadian community. In 2020, Tiffany was named as a recipient of the 2022 RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards for One's to Watch Award, as well as amongst the 100 Most Influential Black Canadians by Afro-Global Television. She's also been recognized by the MIPAD as one of the most, 100 most influential persons of African descent under 40 in 2020. So in partnership with the Canadian government, Tiffany created the Black Entrepreneurship Loan Fund to close the financial gap and support the success of Black entrepreneurs and business owners across Canada. Providing loans of up to $250,000, FACE is committed to laying the foundation for your future success and long-term changes in the industry. Tiffany not only speaks to the challenges faced by Black entrepreneurs, but also how people of color can succeed as entrepreneurs and engage in the creation of wealth creation, engage in generational wealth creation, I should say. Tiffany is highly successful, extremely educated, and provided so much insights and helped me understand more about wealth creation, the importance of generational wealth creation, and also how we can support entrepreneurs. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, you can have access to so many different resources, including the ones that FACE are providing. So really great episode, tons of resources, so be sure to grab a pen and paper to take lots of notes, even if you're not necessarily part of the Black community or someone of color. I think this episode is very relevant for entrepreneurs and women in general who typically face a lot of different discrepancies in the entrepreneurship world. So without further ado, I will pass over the mic and introduce you to Tiffany. Enjoy. Hey, Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast and another stellar interview with one of our Trailblazers. This week, we're talking with Tiffany. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Stacey? I'm good. Is this your first podcast recording? Are you a podcast uh, veteran or is, are you right. newer to this space? I am. I'm a podcast veteran because FACE has their own podcast. <laughs> so oh, amazing! a
1: veteran. Exactly. And I love podcasts. So I listen to them. I participate in them. But first time with you, and I'm excited to do that. Thank you. Let's give a little plug to the Is it The Face podcast. Like, what is the name of it? Oh, girl, you let me plug it, too. Okay, so it's the, the, the other Canada, TOC. And on our podcast, we give uh, space and voices to people who are often left out of conversation. So it could be entrepreneurs, inspiring people. A little bit of a similarity to yours, but uh, TOC has completed its third season, so we'll be going into our fourth in a few months.
0: Yay. Yeah. In the podcast space, it's all, we're all here about sharing. I, I love that about the podcast space. I feel like, you know, got to promote. I feel like there's so much overlap. So always open to, to promos. And I got to check it out. I'll add it to my list for sure. But excited to have you here and so excited about all the work and to share it with our, our team and our, our community. So I kind of just want to start right at the beginning of your career. Like what initially inspired you or what was kind of the initial break that like aha moment that you're like, okay, this is what I want to do because you've kind of, carved out your own path. And I think one of the things we talk a lot about here on Business Casual is how when you come out of school, most of the time what you end up loving and doing for the rest of your life is not what you thought you were going to be doing when you're in school. So I'd love to hear kind of how that journey worked for you and when you kind of realized, okay, I think I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. So I had what you would call uh, the epiphany while I was in school studying something else. So I studied okay. communications. And, uh, I was going, it was media arts. So I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to cover uh, pop culture. And that was pretty much where I was at. Um, but while I was a student in school and I had my own radio show on my CJeP, So CJeP is college here in Quebec, because I'm from Montreal. Uh, they had a closed circuit radio station at our college and I had my own show. So I was still on the right path, that's communications. Um, but I became the promotion manager of the actual station and we had to put on a fundraiser every year um, where we would give all of the money to a cause. So I was like, okay, I could do that. And um, at the time, uh, the CJEP that I went to, they had an annual um, talent show. Now the problem with the talent show was the school traditionally and historically was very, you know, country, bluegrass, rock, historically. But at that time, uh, they had not taken stock that their school had gone completely urban and everything was about hip-hop and r <laughs> you know, EDM and everything that was, you know, popular culture. Um, so, but they didn't give the spots to those types of artists, the urban artists, in the traditional annual show. So I was like, well, okay, I might as well be a disruptor and we created our own show. So our fundraiser was an actual urban variety show and it was called Blackout. And this was like students from, you know, the, the school itself, even outside. So the college community in Montreal kind of like lit a blaze when we started this thing and for you knew it, Ottawa, you was driving down for the show. It became a thing. So we had four shows um, and each of those shows gave money to different causes. The AIDS epidemic in Africa, muscular dystrophy, juvenile diabetes. Uh, we sent, I think 20 young ladies, little girls to um, hip hop dance school, I think my right, last year. So, all of that to say, I didn't realize that by doing that particular activity, which is really just taking the pulse of the people, figuring out where there's a challenge or a need, uh, creating a solution that would do good, right? So using the passion of the people to do good was really what I was doing. I didn't know that was called the nonprofit sector. I didn't know that that's fundraising. I didn't know any of that. So I'm studying media art. Um, and that's where the hard pivot happened. So I found out what I'd be doing at this stage of my life when I was studying for something else. But I do, you know, soothe my parents that my communication <laughs> education and background is used every day in my career. So I think that gives them some solace. I will send them the link to your podcast. So make you see? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I mean, communications is definitely very applicable. And honestly, I think it's so relevant, especially with social media nowadays and the amount of different media sectors and and works of media that exist i think it's honestly i wish that i took more communications courses because i didn't have any political or not political Mm -hmm. right like journalism background going into the podcast i was just like this sounds cool let's try it and everything has been learned on the spot so i kind of um, i'm a little bit jealous that you didn't that you well i did it sounded cool so i did it and then i got a career so it works
1: apparently that's probably the recipe that maybe a lot of people (laughs) should pay attention to while they're studying and i think what we're really saying is that a lot of skills are transferable. So yes. we shouldn't go hard and fast at specifically the sectors that are, you know, typically related to our, our sectors of study or areas of expertise. It's probably transmutable, transformable, applicable somewhere else. And then maybe you might find something that is a combination between skill, expertise, and passion. And I, I think that's where I, I kind of live. And an interesting thing about that show, I won the Quebec Entrepreneurship the provincial uh, Quebec entrepreneurship prize at the collegiate level, regionally and provincially. So if that wasn't an indicator that I was going into entrepreneurship, sometimes the cards are getting laid out and you just kind of have to go with the flow and see where it leads you. So looking back, it's an interesting story for myself.
0: Yeah, I know. I love that story so much. And it's so nice um, that you were able to find that during school. And I think And I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I think the not-for-profit sector sometimes doesn't get enough attention or, you know, when people think of like a career in it, it's not necessarily something that's like celebrated, even though it's so important in our society. So I'd love to know kind of your experience kind of entering, um, did you have like a mentor in this space already? Or were you kind of also a little bit like nervous or hesitant entering the sector? Because I feel like especially within Canada, even though they do such great work and a lot of people support different organizations, not-for-profits, you don't hear about a ton of people actually going into that as a, as a career.
1: That's right. Well, my parents panicked. Um, so <laughs> because at the time, you're right. Nobody walks into a school and says, "Hey, you know, you should be uh, involved in the nonprofit sector." The name within itself kind of, you know, indicates that perhaps you will not have sustainability or financial security or all these things. But it is the it is the space of doing good, and I think mm-hmm. that that um, often. Uh, does get left by the wayside. Um, Again, my family was very concerned. They were like, we see your pathway in media, but we don't see your pathway in the nonprofit sector. And I said, neither do I, but I have to explore it because something is drawing me that way. So I think once I started to understand outside of the projects that I was doing at school that were for good, I started to volunteer at um, organizations. uh, And that's where I understood, you know, the structure of a nonprofit, the board of directors, uh, the staff, um, what are the programs that they do? And it just kind of, I just kind of kept going down the rabbit hole. Um, but I think, again, when you look back at your life, you, there are things that are happening that you may not equate to the road that you're going to be on. But I was on student council in elementary school, I was a vice president. You know, I was always involved in any type of committee work um, where I would help, I would either represent the student body or I would, you know, do something for the student body, class president, five years in our own high school. So all those things were there. It's just no one said, hey, you might be someone who is leaning into the nonprofit world. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, when I was going to school, I'm not aging myself, but I'm aging myself. There was no program that specifically pointed to that. So I studied in human relations when I got to university and it was way too broad and way too big. But now um, at my alma mater, you can find like a program that's specific about, you know, intervention with youth, working with seniors. Like, it got more refined and defined. And I think people find themselves better in the scope of studies that leads them to this path. The other thing I would say is that it was happened like, you know, I would say two years ago, three years ago, maybe right before the pandemic. And I always spoke of myself in my career as a community worker. That was that. That's what I felt that I was doing. I'm doing community work. I'm a community worker. And somebody finally said to me, I think we need to understand that you're actually a social entrepreneur. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, that was the moment where I was like, holy smokes, is that what I am? And once I adopted uh, that definition of the work that I was doing, I think it had a really different impact and not only how I saw myself, but saw myself in the work that I was doing. And then the approach becomes a little bit different. You start to change your own lens on on the work. So now I go by social entrepreneur.
0: I love the title. And I think it's so important, especially when you are an entrepreneur. And I know we're going to talk more about that now to really own that title and I also struggle with that especially when I started the podcast of owning that title because in my mind I was like oh it's like a side thing that I'm doing and you know it's not we don't have any following yet and we don't have like an established brand so I feel like wrong calling myself a you know founder when there's nothing that's really been found yet but I found that looking back at the early stages I actually missed out on so many opportunities and moments to, like grow and present myself in rooms because I didn't own that enough. And I think it's something that's not really talked about at all. Like people, they say entrepreneur, the word, and it's kind of this like very broad term that's used across so many different industries. Like you could be in VC and work for like an entrepreneurship. You can be working in like private equity and be an entrepreneurship, but that doesn't mean you're like an entrepreneur, for example, or you can be like an investor. So there's so many different ways. And I think especially um, when, when it's your own Career yeah. and path, you tend to undersell it. So yeah. it's very important to own what you do and definitely walk into rooms and be like proud of the work you do. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I couldn't
1: agree with you more. And I think that there's an, an element to how women frame themselves in any space. And the nonprofit space is not any different. Um, I remember, you know, when I became an executive director, I was very young. I was thirty years old when I became the executive director of one of the oldest organizations in Quebec. And uh you know, that title was very like, cool. it was, you know, it was, it was, it was heavy and it was, you know, and I, I felt the weight of the responsibility. I was ready for it, but nonetheless. And then when I co-founded FACE, I remember I was like, okay, well, I'm the executive director of FACE. And like, no, you're not, you're the CEO. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like, so it's again, this idea of holding space for yourself in what you're doing, right? So if I'm, if I was a part of a very dynamic group of co-founders that saw fit that there should be this organization to help black entrepreneurs and to create wealth, uh, in yeah. Canada. And these who are my colleagues, these are people I respect and and we, we work in the same sector. So we have a great love for each other and the work that we do. And they said, you well, are, you're going to be the inaugural CEO. Then I, I have to stand in that and 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 represent what the vision was for this organization and now hold it and, and make it come to life. Right. That's what a CEO does. It takes it down a certain road and, and so, yeah, we, we sometimes struggle with, um, you know, calling it like it is. Yep, I'm
0: a founder. Yep, I'm a CEO. Yep, I did all of this. Yeah. And I continue and to do it. 100%, right. 100% and be proud of it. And so I'm glad that you brought up FACE. I know, briefly mentioned it in the intro and in your bio. So would love, in your own words, for you to share a bit more about it and its mission um, for our community. So
1: FACE, which stands for the Federation of African-Canadian Economics, was a project that started in 2020 during the pandemic. So, you know, FACE is is the product of looking at um, a unique and unexpected situation, but applying this circumstance to a long standing issue. And the long standing issue was that um, support to black entrepreneurs in terms of access to capital, access to best practices and knowledge and ecosystem support um, as well as the data that supports the growth or the contribution of these entrepreneurs was not there in its full form to be able to to, to provide a catalyst for them to create generational wealth. And during the pandemic, what happened was that leadership from our communities, and I say communities because black the Black Canadian experience is different uh, depending on where you live, depending on when you joined our community, um, depending on the language you speak, but to have diverse leaders who've worked for many years um, with Black entrepreneurs, collectively, the five organizations and the leaders that were in position to do this work. We have 130 years of collective service uh, working with the Black community, working in Black entrepreneurship. Me being one of them who led the uh, led a provincial entrepreneurship strategy for the English-speaking Black community, which is a double minority here in Quebec, um, we were able to come together and say, you know what? We need to have a conversation with government because we are highly concerned about the survival of Black businesses because of the historical context on how these businesses start, how they're supported, the access to the resources that they have. And that conversation with government um, became a co-design, which became a fantastic historic program called the Black Entrepreneurship Program, which started off as a contribution of $291 million, but then through the work of uh, Minister Mary Ang, then became a $330 million contribution to the Black Entrepreneurship Program. And of that, $160 million is managed by FACE. And we manage the Black Entrepreneurship Loan Fund, which offers loans to entrepreneurs uh, anywhere between $10,000 to $250,000 with our different partners, uh, the BDC, Alterna Savings, and Van City, And uh, this is, I think, to date, uh, one of the uh, most uh, proud moments of my career because it is a different stage of my career to co-found and then lead an organization um, of historic nature is, uh, is, is a privilege. And it is something that uh, I think will forever influence how I, I proceed as a social entrepreneur uh, in terms of making impact. Um, but the mission statement of the organization is to create generational wealth for Black Canadians. So entrepreneurship is a subset of how a community that is traditionally marginalized can create wealth, um, especially with a daunting wealth gap between the larger general community and a minority community, such as my own, the black community. So entrepreneurship is the first lever that we pulled at face to uh, become a great equalizer, to allow for black entrepreneurs to create wealth for themselves and their families and their community. And we will have other initiatives that will Uh, be launched to be able to, again, provide the support, the knowledge, the guidance, and the opportunities for Black Canadians to create generational wealth.
0: Well, first and foremost, congratulations on all of the success and just the amazing work you and your whole team are doing. And I can't wait to dive in. I have so many questions and want to (laughs) get all into it. Our next partner has a product I use every single day. I started taking AG1 a little less than a month ago for many reasons. I think the main one being that since starting my internship and being in the office three days a week, and I think with COVID somewhat being non-existent, life is just so busy. I feel like I have no time for anything. I feel like every single weekend there's something going on. Every single night I have to work out, something going on, and it's so hard to get to the gym or prioritize my health when I'm in the office. So when I kept seeing ads for AG on, AG1 on my Instagram feed or hearing their ads on podcasts I listen to, I knew I had to try it. So what is it? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. Whether you are literally training for a marathon or not working out at all, By just taking this once a day, you know that you've gotten all your vitamins and minerals and everything you need to get your day going. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting really good. I use my AG water bottle. I fill it up with ice, add some water because I love when my drinks are cold, add one scoop of AG1, and on the way to work, I drink it so by the time I get to work, I know that I'm showing up with all of the vitamins and minerals I need to have an amazing day. It also costs less than $3 a day, which I think is insane. So you are investing in your health and it is cheaper than your cold brew habit, which I am guilty of. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is recommended by professional athletes, By taking Athletic Greens over the last month, I've noticed a lot of changes in my body, but I think the most noticeable one has been my energy as well as my skin. I typically drink coffee every single day, but I've noticed that since taking AG1, I haven't had the same craving for coffee and I feel like I get a lot of my energy from AG1. I also have noticed a difference in my skin. I've always struggled with dry, uneven, textured skin, and I've found my skin literally glowing since I've been taking AG1. So right now, it is your time to claim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash business casual. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash business casual to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I think it's important to start what you were just talking about of generational wealth. So maybe can you share a little bit more about why this is so important and why it is a pillar for the organization? Because I think it's really important starting point, to understanding how... um, to really best support communities moving forward and not only doing good for right now but doing good for generations to come so would love to just kind of start there but why there is such a importance and need to start with this generational wealth and um, have this kind of like the focus of the organization
1: absolutely so when we think about our society and we think about inequities and you can categorize them they're inequities in education in housing in uh, culture justice i mean this exists. And this is a reality for many members of marginalized communities. So these are folks and often also their intersection, intersectional identities created that they are further and further away from the necessary and simple access to resources to help them define their own trajectory, lifestyle, futures. So when we, Think about wealth creation. Wealth creation is something that's done over the course of many generations or through uh, through families, um, where they their sweat or their sweat equity or their advancement, whether it in their personal or professional lives, allows for them to accumulate resources that then translates over time into wealth. So we also have to make the distinction between rich and wealthy, right? And, you know, I think uh, it was uh, a comedian, I I can't remember, I think it was Chris Rock. He said, you know, Shaq is rich, but the guy who owns, you know, who owns the basketball today plays, he's wealthy. So, and the reality of that is, is that we can use that exact example. When you look at Shaquille O'Neal, who is a black man who came from a single parent home, whose mother and family face a specific and unique type of history in the United States as African-Americans, which was transatlantic slavery meant that laws and structures and, in- and systems were put in place to deny them the opportunity and the freedom to be able to accumulate wealth through their works and through their efforts. And that story um, of becoming Shaquille O'Neal and now through his, you know, personal God given talents, you know, it's more than seven foot you know, five <laughs> genetics too low. You know what I mean? And, is able to play basketball and is able to do that in such a way where he took that skill of basketball, but then also started a series of businesses. He diversified through entertainment his ability to create wealth for his family. So he's changed the trajectory of his family through his works. Now, that story is not unique to African-Americans in the context of being marginalized, excluded, systemically discriminated against. That happened everywhere in the world and also here in Canada. So when we think about um, marginalized or excluded communities and what it means to have opportunities to create equalizers, it is through initiatives like FACE to say, if you had access to the necessary, not only capital, support, sponsorship, mentorship, and training to start, scale, and grow your business, you would then be in a position to create or begin the process of creating wealth. You could be the game changer in your family's history. So I love this idea because um, effort for someone who's worked 20 years exclusively uh, for my community in the nonprofit sector as a social entrepreneur, I can tell you that effort is something that I've never seen a lack of from the community. The desire to want to do for self, the desire to want to be the master of their own destiny or to change the trajectory of their current course I've never seen a lack of that. What has been missing is the proper infrastructure and support and resources to do that at a larger scale or as efficiently as possible. So this is why this project excites me and faces choice to choose entrepreneurship as the first lever is one that I think is gonna be very empowering. And we're already seeing the impacts of that, where folks who started businesses but could not get access to capital or was not given the opportunity to get support, now having access to that, We're seeing the return on that. We're seeing jobs be created in their businesses. We're seeing them start to be prepared to take on different procurement opportunities or break into new markets or at least learn how they want to do that to be able to plan. And that could be the beginning story of a generational game changer. So this is why it's important, um, especially for those of us who are privileged. And I wanna state right here, I consider myself someone who is privileged. I grew up in a home with both parents who had careers, um, where I had the opportunity to go to good schools and live in a safe neighborhood and be able to show up today and talk about this on a platform with you. So I get that we all have different levels of privilege. However, there are individuals in my community who look like me, who suffer severe barriers and extreme barriers, and these things prevent them to having the opportunity to be their their, their full selves. So. Um, this project for me is is that it's an opportunity to be the great equalizer uh, through different strategies and to see, you know, how far this community that I'm a part of, but I also have worked for for 20 years, um, how far they can go.
0: And I think it's so important to break it down kind of like you did with those examples as well to, to really understand because I think a lot of the times... Um, and obviously myself, as you mentioned, with your own privilege, I also have my own privilege. And I'm excited to be able to have a space like this, to have these types of conversations. And sometimes it's really hard to conceptualize and understand how, one, you can support, but also, one, you know, the differences that people who might be even living in the same neighborhood as you have. I had the opportunity last year to see um, – Wes Hall speak at my university, and I'm sure you're very familiar with his work. And I'm not sure those who are listening, but he was he was a judge. I don't know if he still is a judge on um, Dragons Den, which is Correct. the Canadian version of Shark Tank. And his story, I had no idea until I went to his talk. But his story is so remarkably incredible, and I'm not even going to try and retell it because I don't, I'm not going to do it justice. But he was proning a book that he had just written. So if you have the chance, I would highly recommend um, anyone listening to go check it out because his speech was so impactful and just sharing his journey, um, coming from a marginalized community, not being born in Canada, uh, coming to Canada and joining on Bay Street and, and working his way through that, which is its own different beast. Obviously, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is one area, but corporate is a whole other area. Definitely. So um, that's kind of my first introduction to just a better understanding. And it was very eye-opening. And he was such an incredible speaker and, and really inspiring. So I also just wanted to add that in because I think it's also really relevant to this conversation. Yeah. That's it. he's, when
1: I think about West Hall, I think about started from the bottom, now we're here. Like that's, yeah. it, that, that's what i It's the 100%. only that applies to, to his story and his story, which is uh, the story of many, but with different iterations. And those are yeah. the models that we get to bring to the forefront, also in a project like Face, um, where entrepreneurship. To be honest, for a lot of our family, especially speaking about immigrants, which is which is a different reality, you know. And I said before, not everybody's Black Canadian experience is the same. So my parents were immigrants; they came here mm-hmm. in 1976 from Barbados, and um, most children, so first-gen Canadians of Black families from whether from the continent or from the Caribbean. They will tell you the the name of the game is get a job (laughs) that will give you a good pension. It's like be safe, right? And entrepreneurship is the opposite of safe. It is risk on risk, but it is a risk that's worth taking if you end up working strategically enough to get the reward. But that in and of itself is a barrier. So the story of Wes and others who came here, uh, dared to dream, start a business and then find success throughout And notwithstanding the systemic barriers that exist are the most beautiful tales to listen to and stories. And the lore of it is what grabs our attention because there's a common thread through humanity is we love the story of the underdog. We love the persistent protagonist. We want the person who like plunged through it all and got to the end. And that is the story of many uh, immigrants who become entrepreneurs uh, in this country. So
0: yeah, great story. And I think it's even, relevant to remind listeners and just remind yourself that Canada and most North, I don't know what the status in the US, I don't know the exact stat, but I think it's like 90% of businesses in Canada are small businesses. It's not that like they're, the country is made up of, and my grandparents from both sides of my family were immigrants as well. And they were also entrepreneurs and my grandfather has had a car body shop for the last 50 years. And like, that was not something that he came, he didn't have formal education coming to Canada. So I think it's, It's refreshing also to be in a country where we have – it's built off of small businesses and people who come – not only who come to Canada, but who are born and raised here that want to contribute in their own ways to our unique communities. But I'd love to hear how COVID has kind of impacted this because we know that the cost of living is up. We know that there's a lot of uncertainty Mm-hmm. The economy is kind of changing, it seems like, every single day. So how is that? I know this was born out of COVID and started during COVID, but has the resources needed changed in the last few years, even just from 2020 until now? Because I'm sure the challenge that we were facing 2019 to 2020 to now probably look a little bit different.
1: Absolutely. So you've got it. So when we celebrate, and we we do celebrate, the result of the Black Entrepreneurship Program and the Black Entrepreneurship Fund, which FACE manages, but it has come at the like hardest time, economic time in the last hundred years in this country. So the help came, but it came during the most difficult storm. So now our entrepreneurs, and and I will say, they've still utilized this resource, the ability to access capital so that their businesses could start, could scale, could pivot, right? To be able to respond to the new economy and all the things that you talked about, we are in high inflation. The interest rates yeah. have jumped six times uh, recently. So we have to be cognizant that that is an extreme strain on Canadians, but an even more brutal strain on, on, on small businesses. And I love what you said before because small and medium-sized is the lifeblood of Canada. Yeah. So for me, although this help has come and we are grateful for it because we will turn this... Uh, you know, and drive this as far as we can, because we see the benefit and we see the results. It is coming at a very challenging time. So what that means is that we have to be nimble and we have to be open to understanding the realities. This is the time to put our ear even closer to the ground, to be able to hear from entrepreneurs. What else can we do to help you weather this storm, which is, this is the post storm of COVID-19. The program was born during the storm. And to give you timeline context, the conversation that we started to have with government was about the shutdown officially of the country was about March 15th, 2020. This conversation broke on April 2nd. So imagine two weeks into the pandemic, if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, they were like, We're gonna be inside for about three weeks, should be fine. That's what they yeah. told us. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> yeah, we remember that. Ride the curve for two weeks. Ugh. Not so much. So then we had, so we didn't even
1: know to the extent of which this virus was going to have on the world, society, the economy, all these things. But we knew that systemic discrimination has been the epidemic of many systems that exist, including the financial system. So if we are solving for a long-standing epidemic, then we need a program that will respond in that way the government of canada had put forth a program called the canadian emergency bank account for covid that was a covid response to give access to capital through financial institutions to entrepreneurs to be able to weather the storm but we weren't solving for that we were solving for a long-standing issue that was now going to be compounded because of covid and so this uh program as I mentioned, when I look at the checkerboard or the chessboard and we have to figure out how to move things around, um, I believe that our, our saving grace will be to remain nimble and plugged into the entrepreneurs that we are serving so that we can continue to innovate and see how we can help them to weather this new phase of COVID, which is the post-actual um, virus, but now the, the, the remedying of the economy.
0: And I'm not sure if you have an answer for this, but i just curious. Have you seen any decline or more hesitation for new entrepreneurs entering the space? Are you having conversations with people who are interested in starting small businesses and just due to the economic conditions? like Have you seen any changes in there? Or I don't know if that's relevant to
1: face. I don't no. Absolutely. I mean, I was just about two weeks ago. Again, it's about keeping your ear to the ground. Uh, we sat with... Um, focus groups of entrepreneurs to ask them like what are your needs how are things going is this program beneficial and one of the resounding things was at least in each of those focus groups someone said i want to take the loan but i'm Mm. the interest rates are just hyped whenever right the bank of canada interest we can't anticipate them so i don't want to put myself in a strained situation so what my sitting in that space as the ceo of face Now it becomes my job to turn to my colleagues, my partners, um, my stakeholders and say, well, this is what's happening, right? And this is happening to all entrepreneurs, but this particular group, which we put together a particular strategy to create access for them, we need a solution for this now. How can we further support? What products need to be available? What facilities need to be available to them so that they can weather this situation until we see the economy stabilize or return to something that is slightly more predictable than what we're seeing today. So yes, of course there is, um, there's continued challenges or you know doubt or hesitation because um, entrepreneurship is also something that's very personal. It's bringing to light something that you see a place in the market, but you see your way of bringing it to be in the market and you want to serve to a degree, a particular, target clientele. And that is very personal. I, I, I think that there are people, yes, who create business to make money, straight up. But then there are also entrepreneurs who do things because they feel driven, impassioned, uh, motivated, and, and, and they feel very creative in creating the products and services that they do. So I totally get it. And it is a gambit of emotions, I'm sure. Um, myself as a social entrepreneur, well, believe me, sitting in my home in a pandemic, negotiating and talking with government about this program in the most uncertain time. I suffered my own moments of, should we be doing this right now? Is (laughs) is it now? Like right now? Like while I'm in the house with my three kids and you know, what's happening? But driven by passion, driven by conviction that this is something that needed to come to pass and that we would find our
0: way through. And so far we have. And I I think you mentioned before, but although it's the hardest times, it probably comes at the times when a lot of people need it most. If anyone listening thinks that they would benefit from FACE and this loan, is it an ongoing rolling applications or where can people find out more information? Or if someone thinks they know someone who would be a good fit for it, maybe give us a little more info on where we can find more information.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So you can go to our website at www.facecoalition.com. And there you will find all of the details about the loan program itself. So, the eligibility criteria, how to apply, what uh, is expected in terms of the documents that are mandatory for submission. And then you can create an account on the website. So, our face portal is there. And when you create your account, that is where you can actually submit everything related to your applications. Because remember, we were born during the pandemic, so there was no face-to-face. We started off as a virtual space and, and you know, better for it because I think that um, technology uh, is, 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 is the way in which we can reach and engage many people and that we can uh, use our human sensibilities and, and desires and, and amplify that and also accelerate that. So, uh, again, going to facecoalition.com, all of the details about the actual program are available on our website, as well as the access to create a face account with zero notes, there's no cost there, and you can then submit your application. And I would also encourage folks to go to the contact us page and you will find uh, the details for our face support center. So we have an entire department that responds to uh, the general inquiries and questions about the program. You can call them, you can send them an email, and that is the best way
0: to reach us at face. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can link those also in the show notes. So if you're also looking, um, check the show notes before just general Google. So before we end off this episode, I wanted to kind of ask, what are your general tips for people of color as entrepreneurs? How can what what would you say your three biggest tips are for either entrepreneurship or or creating generational wealth? Kind of what are your three-year experience in the industry? I know it's really tough to break it down. People don't like when I say numbers, mm-hmm. but you can kind of boil it down to like the tried and true. How, how do you best support? Three tips would be, you need to be exposed. So exposure
1: to new information, new networks, new people, uh, allows you to have uh, an opportunity to put more tools in your tool belt, ask questions. So be very curious, um, but that requires exposure. So nothing good ever happens in a vacuum. <laughs> Some would say the universe did. But the point is, is that we have to absolutely expose ourselves to the world of business, entrepreneurship, finance, economics in order to do that. And there is no need or reason to be intimidated because there is somebody out there who's either made content like Stacey's doing today or made a YouTube channel, or just likes talking to people, and professors are actually, you know, a very good source outside of classrooms. <laughs> you catch a professor <laughs> in the hallway, have a general conversation with them, have a coffee, you'd be surprised, the gems that you get. I, I talk to a lot of professors, but this is the way in which you will tip your toe into the pool of entrepreneurship, which could yeah. lead to creating wealth and starting your own business. That's the first thing. The next thing is experiences. So, when we move through life sometimes we are in our own like bubble and we're like you know get up eight o'clock get my starbucks go get on the highway get a car. so we don't take the time to slow down and have experiences and experiences are when you walk into that small business and the the person is there and i hope you guys are trying to spread your dollar and go to a local small business in your neighborhood or near your job because again small and medium-sized businesses are the lifeblood of our country um, but if you take that time and consciously decide every day to vote with your dollar, you vote every four years at the ballot, but you could vote every day with your dollar. And that's how you really start to, to, to see or to action your own uh, response in a community. If you really want to make change and really be, you know, a champion for equity, spend your money with a small business that's never sealed. Crazy thought, but I promise you it works. Walk in there and have the experience of talking to the entrepreneur. Like, how do you start your business? When did you start? You know, have a quick convo. And those experiences in our day-to-day are actually quite enlightening. Some people go the extra mile and go to like business conferences and those are great as well because then you're like immersed in crowds of people who have come there for the same reason as you, to have an experience. But I, I would dare to think that if we spent a little bit more time off our hamster wheel and having experiences with each other, we would learn a lot about what we what others are doing it might influence what we want to do and it's a way that we can make change that's my, my my thing the last part in my top three tips would be opportunities so opportunities are these things where you have to stay ready so you don't have to get ready that's what i would say okay so that means you want to be is when preparation meets opportunity that's often a saying people say and what that means is really being keen on seeing opportunities where they are. The challenges with human beings is we think opportunities is like this one big thing that happens and you're like, oh, that's my op. <laughs> it's never is That's it, my right? chance. That's my chance, right? And if I miss it, oh, life is over, right? <laughs> like, you know, that's not true. Um, opportunities are the small things. They're an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get up after you hear uh, um, a, a, an impactful speaker and ask a question or, or to, to, to kind of lean in on something that you think is... You have no idea how one toe in the door can lead to the door getting open that can open to the next door. We often focus on getting through one door. It's actually the door behind the door that's actually gonna lead you somewhere. So I'd say opportunities are something that you have to pursue, but it is something that you also have to be aware of that it's not always the big thing, it's the small thing. So if I didn't take the opportunity to have that radio show in college, to then become the promotional manager, to then create the show called Blackout, to then win the Entrepreneurship War, to then volunteer at a nonprofit. I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> so I created my own opportunities. And what I think is great about the world that we're in, because I grew up at a time, unlike you, Stacey, with you know proper internet and social media, is <laughs> that you guys have opportunities at your fingertips. You could slide into somebody's yes. DM and create an opportunity. It's really the wild, wild west here. In like all the good ways if you use them properly. So I would say those are my three things. You got to have exposure. You got to have, you got to expose yourself to things. You
0: have to have as many experiences as possible and you have to create your own opportunities. And I love how we came on a little, I love when episodes are like circular and what we start at is like always what we end at. It's like, a podcaster's dream. It's my favorite because I feel like it just wraps everything up in a little That's bow. an
1: unused con degree working
0: to yes. your favorites. <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. It just makes my little heart so happy. Um, but aside from entrepreneurship, I loved all those pieces of advice and I think they're applicable across the board and maybe not even just entrepreneurship, just in general for life and career. If there's one piece of advice you can leave listeners with that you wish you knew when you started your career or that you've been given that's really stuck with you. It doesn't have to be related to necessarily, you know, your career, like Yay. entrepreneurship or face. Just in general, one thing that you would love to share with listeners that you think has, has really stuck with you.
1: So there's a few. That gem I dropped before about, you know, when preparation meets opportunity, that
0: was a mentor of
1: mine. So he was like, you're always preparing. So when the opportunity comes, you're ready. Um, and I, I, could, I don't think I truly understood it what he had shared with me um, when he was mentoring me until it was time during a pandemic.
0: <laughs> to, <laughs> for your <to> opportunity. <laughs> this
1: conversation, for this opportunity, which is called Face, right? Um, so I think I understood it very thoroughly then, uh, what he meant. But another thing that I would say that I would tell myself, that I know now that I would tell my younger self or that I would share is um, I would say, breathe, kid. <laughs> I'd spent, I think the latter part of my 20s being highly stressed <laughs> about um, what was going to happen, and what's my going to my career, and where am I going to go, and oh my god, mom and dad aren't sure about this career pivot. I don't know. And I think all that did was create a tape of self doubt that I had to combat all the time. Now, I'm just hard headed enough that I would I rather tussle with the tape in my head than not try. But a lot of people don't have that. It that that self. Doubt tape that you create through the story you tell yourself sometimes is hard to beat. And like when you go through something like COVID where you're not alone with your thoughts and there's really nobody there to shoulder it. a lot of people went through that. I think that that's the, the thing you have to, you know, be weary about and be careful about. So I would say if I could go back, I'd say breathe kid. You know why? Because the twenties were like kindergarten it's like you know you're out there you're trying stuff and you know yeah <laughs> some stuff is gonna happen you're gonna cry a lot you're gonna you know that's right then you get to your 30s and your 30s is more like okay you're starting to catch a stride you're trying to figure out what it feels like what feels good and you know now it's starting to move a little different and you're starting to your awareness has increased because you're starting to say like well heck i am good at that okay maybe it's that and you start to be a little bit more pristine and, and precise in where you're going 40 is a whole other ballgame. <laughs> and God bless the 40s. Like I know, and when they say 40s is the new 30, I don't know what it is, but I like it here. It's um, <laughs> you know, I think I, it feels like the beginning of the age of wisdom. Like I've lived enough to have some wisdom to say I have some wisdom. Um, uh, I'm hoping to accumulate more as time goes on. Um, and I've learned to breathe. Fear not, chicken little, the sky is not falling. Brilliant children's <laughs> book because it's, it's so right. You will go to sleep tonight and if you let your mind rest and let your body rest, you will figure this out tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, the day after. And if not the day after, ask somebody for help. If I knew that, then I would have, I would think I would have alleviated myself of a lot of undue stress. And to end up here at the end of it, that's probably the only message I'm going to tell my kids. Hey, kid, breathe. You'll be fine.
0: Well, you're talking to a twenty-two year old who just started full-time work in the corporate world coming off my first week. I mean today's Thursday, we're filming and tomorrow's mm-hmm. my my official last week. And I feel like, um, yeah, it's definitely a really important takeaway because it feels like there is so much going on and it is really overwhelming starting a new job and trying to understand how the real life works. So I'm gonna take that one away one hundred percent and I'm sure that it'll also resonate with a lot of our listeners. Oh, Tiffany, thank you so much for your time. I know that I learned a lot throughout this episode. And so I hope that anyone listening, hopefully you also learned a lot. um, And hopefully it also helped some entrepreneurs out there who potentially will be involved with FACE or now know about it. And I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much, Stacey. Don't forget. Hey, kid, breathe. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. Yes, deep breaths one day at a time. Exactly. (laughs)